take your seats. Good to see you here on Sunday morning at our 11 o'clock service. Uh, I'd like to welcome uh, right now, uh, joining us from across the road at our cinema, the Coronet Cinema, we have a congregation led by Christian Live that have their own service and then come and join us for the preaching of the Word. So welcome to all of you over there in the Coronet. I'd also uh, like to pass on Collins, regards to you all. Um, many of you will have been praying for our senior minister, Colin Dye, as he's been going to, uh, well, it's a sensitive place in the world that we won't mention, but Colin has, over the last week, been ministering to the persecuted church in quite a sensitive and dangerous area. And uh, we have been praying for him over this week. And he has just landed in London this morning. And he just wanted to report it been a resounding success. Amen. Everything the Lord wanted to do was done. Uh, Colin was kept safely with the team. The impact was made and your prayers availed. So he thanks us all very much. Thank you, Lord. Keep praying for him because he's just landed in London and then he is going up later this evening for three days with our national leadership team of our Elim Pentecostal movement of which we are part. He's going to be there and then straight after that, later on next week, he is traveling to Brazil. We have pioneered works in Brazil. We have a strong link through our senior minister's ministry over the years in, in Brazil. And we have a church out there in Recife and other churches are being birthed there. We have our own Brazilian ministries also here in London. So Colin is going out there later next week. He's going to be there for uh, a couple of Sundays ministering, strengthening the work so that we can continue to see the gospel flourish. So let's continue to hold him in his prayers as he takes the apostolic mantle that's in this vision out to the nations of the world. I want to encourage you, you will see in your revival times, and I'll mention a little bit more about this, but in there, there's a wonderful pictorial report of our Grace for the City evenings that we had, three consecutive Tuesdays leading up to Easter. And we have those messages from Colin available. He was building each Tuesday, he built on a message called, Is Anyone Thirsty?, and so we have these available, uh, eight pounds for the audio and 12 for the DVDs. So that's all ready for you. As you've heard, our Revival Times, we brought out early because there's some fantastic information here for you as we prepare for the election of the mayor. Um, there's an article that Colin has written, the key article here, where he discusses what happens when politicians start making pronouncements on religion. As, as you may know, Ken Livingstone has said that if he gets elected, he's going to make London a beacon of light for Islam. And so Colin examines those things in this article. What does that mean? Why did, it, why did he say that? But also, we have people like uh, David Cameron, who claims to be a Christian and uh, tells the church to preach morals and then begins to deconstruct marriage which is at the heart of a healthy society. So this isn't a political 
bash at anyone. It's uh, a look at these issues. How do we respond? Also, there, there is on the main candidates that are standing for the mayor, you'll find that there's an article where they speak themselves about what they stand for. Um, Colin's desire is that when we go into these elections that we will think and pray about how to use our vote. Number one, first, please vote. If you're eligible, please vote. We can't complain against government, local, national, or mayors if we don't even bother to turn up and, uh, and vote. But also, pray, read these articles, and think about how you're going to vote. Don't vote Boris just because you've always been conservative. Don't vote Ken because your dad, was, your dad always supported Labour or, or whatever. Don't vote Liberal because that's what you've always done. Come to these elections with a fresh mind and a fresh heart. Look at these articles, hear what the candidates have to say, and use your vote intelligently. Amen? Amen. Well, that's wonderful. Well, I'm very privileged to be speaking to you this morning on the request of Colin. Um, many of you regulars will know that a couple of weeks ago, we launched uh, my book on Galatians called No More Law. And uh, very grateful for many of you who have already bought this. Um, it's priced $12.99, but for you, for this month only, for those that come to KT, we're making it available for £10. I don't get a penny of the royalties. I've chosen that all the royalties that come from this book will go directly into the work of Kensington Temple's mission amongst Muslim nations. So, um, so just to let you know about that, if you'd like a signed copy, I will be signing them at the end of the service. But I'm grateful to Colin for letting me speak to you this morning on the subject of No More Law so that I can give you a taste of the message that really was on my heart when I wrote this book. I realized that there, there is a distinct lack of understanding in the church today, not just among, among members of the church, the broad, the church worldwide, but also among ministers and leaders about the relationship between law and grace, the Old Testament and the New Testament, the gospel and the Mosaic law. And I want to talk a little bit about that today. You'll find that it is very relevant to your daily life as, as, as we, we move on in this, to know what grace is and how as Christians we should live our, live our lives. The other reason I wrote this book on Galatians was that it's important for us to study God's word as it's been given to us. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, the Bible is an amazing, unique piece of literature. So many different books written over such a long time by so many different authors, from kings down to uh, shepherds and fishermen. And God has a plan and a purpose in the way that the Bible was brought to us. So when we come to a book of Galatians, for example, we find that it is a letter. It was a letter written by a man called Paul to a specific group of Christians in Galatia. And often when we teach, and it's right to do so, we will teach thematically or systematically. We'll say, well, today I'm going to teach on what the Bible speaks about marriage. Or today I'm going to speak about what the Bible speaks about, about prayer. And we'll go to different verses and bring forth the Bible's message. But you know, the, the epistle of, of Galatians is a letter. And so we should also study it as God gave it to us. I mean, if you wrote a letter to someone, you'd expect them to read the whole letter through, wouldn't you? 
not just to pick a verse or, 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 or a statement here and there. And so if God has given us the Bible and parts of it in forms of a letter, then we should be able to study it as God gave, to, gave it to us. But I would like you, if you do have your Bibles, please, to turn to Galatians chapter 2, verse 19. The title of my book and my, therefore my message is No More Law. What does that mean? No more law. Galatians chapter 2 and verse 19. Paul's writing to the Galatians. For I, through the law, died to the law that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God. For if righteousness comes from the law, then Christ died in vain. What a great statement there. Now, we're talking about Paul. Before Paul was saved... He was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. I mean, he lived every day, 24-7, pursuing the standards and commandments of the law of Moses. It was his life. In fact, he was a professor of the law. He'd studied it so much. It was like he had a PhD in the law of Moses from Oxford University. That's how clever and, and committed he was to the law. And now he's writing to this new church, Galatia. And these Galatians, they weren't converted Jews. They, they were pagans when they first heard the gospel. When Paul preached the gospel, the good news of Jesus and his death and resurrection, these Galatians didn't know anything about the law, didn't know anything about Moses, never heard about Moses, didn't know anything. But Paul preached them the gospel. Later on, some new preachers came, what we call Judaizers. And they said to the Galatians, well, that's wonderful that you found Christ, but how are you living your life? You, you need to... Don't you know what the Ten Commandments are? Don't you know that God has given us the law of Moses to live by? Uh, you need to be circumcised. You need, you need to stop eating pork. You need to start living as a Jew. Jesus was a Jew. He lived according to the law. You need to live according to the law. And the Galatians were saying to themselves, hmm, I think you're right. I, th I think we, we need to live as Christians under the teaching of the law. And Paul wrote to them and he said, no, this is nonsense. Verse 19, I, through the law, died to the law that I might live to God. Died to the law. You know, when someone we know dies and departs this world, we no longer have a relationship with them. When someone dies, we can't talk to them. We can't fellowship with them. We can't be with them. We're going to have to wait till we meet them in heaven. So when Paul says, I died to the law, he said this, I had a relationship with the Mosaic law. I was a Pharisee of Pharisees. I lived the law. I breathed the law. I ate the law. I drank the law. Everything I did was, was about putting the law into action in my life. I was a Jew of Jews. But when I found Jesus, something happened to me on the inside. 
It was no longer obeying external laws. God grabbed my heart, filled it with his love and his spirit. And at that moment, I died to everything that I had lived for. I died to the Lord. The Lord died to me. And now I live by faith. What an amazing thing for someone so committed to the Jewish law to say, I'm dead to the law. And I'm dead to the law, he says in verse 19, so I can live for God. Paul says, you can't live for God if you're living for the law. You need to die to the law. But you Galatians, we're going in different directions. I was a Jew of Jews. And now I've died to the law and I'm living free. You didn't know anything about the law, didn't know anything about Moses, and now you are choosing to follow the law. Then in the last verse that I read to you, verse 21, I do not set aside the grace of God. For if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died in vain. That is so powerful. Paul says, I'm not going to live according to the law I'm going to live according to the grace. What is grace? Grace is undeserved favor. You can never earn grace. It's freely given. Isn't this wonderful? So Paul was writing to the Galatians. Now, as I said, when Paul first came to the Galatians, they never heard about the law. They didn't know about it, and Paul didn't really teach them about it. When Paul came to these pagan Galatians, he taught them about Christ, about Jesus. We see in Galatians chapter 3, he says, Who has bewitched you? Who's put a spell on you that you'd want to follow the law of Moses? Didn't Christ was portrayed before you? Christ crucified? And so the Galatians, when they met the Lord, they met him as Christ, it was the cross that Jesus died for their sins and rose again. They put their faith in the risen son and they were born again. Their hearts were converted. Galatians 3, Paul says, you know what? This only I want to know from you legalists. This only. How did you receive the Holy Spirit when you were baptized in the Holy Spirit? How did you receive him? Did did you have to follow some law or regulation? Did you have to meet some kind of spiritual holiness level before you got the Holy Spirit? Or did you just believe? Just like you believed in Jesus. Did you just believe? And the Father sent the Holy Spirit into your heart and filled you with the love of the Father. And Paul says when the Holy Spirit came into your heart, He cried out something. What did he cry out? Abba, Father. It was a relationship issue. They'd met the Lord and the Holy Spirit had come. And it was all by simple trust. No laws at all. They'd never heard about laws. And now they were walking with the Lord. But all of a sudden they were changing. Instead of focusing on the work of God in the heart, they were now looking to external rules and regulations, laws and regulations that they felt they had to put into practice in order to be saved, in order to stay saved. And Paul's message to the Galatians is, look, no more law, no more law. How can I put this 
in large capital letters for you this morning. Well, come with me now to Galatians chapter 3 and verse 13. Because I can put it like this. Paul was saying, I'm a Jew. I'm a Jew by birth. I was born a Jew by the grace of God. I was a Jew of Jews. I followed the law of Moses like no tomorrow. You're pagans. And now you're coming to me and you say, well, we want to follow. We want to be Jewish. And you're saying, we want to follow Moses and be like Moses and follow the law that came through Moses. Well, Paul says, you want to follow Moses? You tell you who I want to follow? The real father of the Jews. Who is the real father of the Jews? Can anyone tell me? Abraham. So my question to you as a Christian as well today as we unpackage this is, who are you following? Jesus. All right. But who are you more like? Are you following in the footsteps of Abraham? Or are you as a Christian more like following in the footsteps of Moses? And so Paul is saying, you want to be Jewish? You want, you, you want, you want to be Jewish? I'll show you what being Jewish is. And it's not following Moses. It's following the footsteps of Abraham. Now let's read Galatians chapter 3.13. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. That the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus. That we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Brethren, I speak in the manner of men. Though it is only a man's covenant, yet if it is confirmed, no one annuls or adds to it. Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He does not say unto seeds, as of many... But of one and to your seed who is Christ. And this I say, that the law which was 430 years later cannot annul the covenant that was confirmed before by God in Christ, that it should make the promise of no effect. For if inheritance is from the law, it is no longer of promise. But God gave it to Abraham by promise. Let me unpackage that. This is what Paul is saying. Think about Abraham. Abraham was the father of the Jews. But you know, Abraham, before he met with God, he was a pagan. Do you know that? He was a pagan just like the Galatians were pagan. Uh, the book of Joshua tells us that Abraham was brought up in a family where his father worshipped pagan gods. And when God found Abraham in Genesis chapter 15, Abraham didn't know anything about God at all. Didn't know anything. He was just like the Galatians. And God came and found Abraham. Now, it also says here that the law came in verse 17, 430 years later. Do you know what that means? That means if we went back in time and met Abraham, and we went to Abraham, and we could say this, Abraham, I've got a test for you. Can you name eight, let's start with eight, at least eight out of the Ten Commandments? Abraham would say, say the Ten what? The Ten Commandments. Sorry, never heard of them. All right, Abraham, well, how about five out of the Ten Commandments? Can you manage that? I really don't know what you're talking about. I've, I've never heard of the Ten Commandments. Think about this. 
Abraham lived his life with God without the law. It was 430 years away. Everything Abraham did was law-free. He'd never even heard of the law. And what Paul is saying again and again in Galatians is, you need to be like Abraham. Romans chapter 4 tells us that Abraham is the father of all who believe. Romans chapter 4 also tells us that we should walk in the footsteps of our father Abraham. He is the Old Testament pattern of the New Testament believer. So these Galatians saying, we're going back to Moses. Paul says, I'm going back further to the beginnings of Jewishness. I'm going back to Abraham, and Abraham was law-free. And not only was Abraham free from the law, but so was his son Isaac, so was Jacob, All of Jacob's sons had no idea about the law. In fact, for 430 years, God's people walked without the law. 430 years is a long time. Do you know that? It was so wonderful earlier to see Esteban uh, all the way from Argentina blessing Her Majesty of Great Britain. Wonderful. And it was her birthday yesterday. Now, 430 years ago... There was another Elizabeth on the throne, Elizabeth I. It's a long time ago, isn't it? And so the length of time from Elizabeth I to our current queen, that length of time, God's people walked with God without knowledge of the law of Moses at all. God is calling on us to walk free from external regulations and rules, whether they be from the law of Moses, whether they be church rules, denominational rules. God wants us to walk free. So how shall we walk? Well, we see how Abraham walked in verse 16 that I just read to you. It says, now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. Abraham walked with God by grace and through his faith in his promises. Think about this. Why did God choose pagan Abraham? There were plenty of pagans. Every, so many people were pagan. Why did God come to Abraham? Well, God came to Abraham by his own pleasure, by his grace, because he chose to. He came to Abraham. Abraham didn't know anything, wasn't looking for God. God didn't look at Abraham and say, oh, look, there's something in Abraham that needs to be rewarded. God just turned up. Some of us know what it's like for God to turn up in our lives unannounced. Amen? Nothing that we were walking 100 miles an hour in the wrong direction, but Christ caught us. Paul knew what it was like. As he was going to persecute the church, Christ knocked him off his horse, blinded him with his glory, and his life was turned around. In Genesis chapter 15, we see this story. God just turns up and goes, Abraham. Abraham goes, what? He says, I'm going to use you. You're going to be the first Jew, and I'm going to use you, and you're going to bless the Gentiles, every family, every nation, every tribe. They're going to be blessed through you. And Abraham said, well, that's a bit difficult because... I've been trying for a child for many, many years, and it's impossible. And God says, Abraham, I am the Lord. Trust me, and I'll give you a son by your wife, Sarah. 
and his name will be Isaac. And Abraham, who hardly knew anything about God, he'd just met him, didn't know much about him at all. He just said, you know what, Lord, whatever you call yourself, I believe. I don't understand, but I believe. And God said, because you believe, it's reckoned to you as righteousness. Your sins are forgiven you. You have standing in my sight. You've become my friend. Walk with me, Abraham. And how did Abraham walk? He walked by the promises of God. You see, the gospel and the Christian faith is not about external laws and regulations as the Mosaic law was, but to the the Christian gospel is walking by faith in the integrity of God. Look, Christianity is all about trust issues. How many people here have ever had trust issues? You know, you talk about people who've had trust issues. You know, they put their trust in a human being, maybe in a relationship or a friendship, and that person betrayed them. And they go away and, I don't know if I can trust somebody again. And they meet a new friend or a new person or a new situation, and somebody says, trust me. And in their heart, they go, I don't know if I can. You might let me down. You might promise me things that you're not prepared to. It's called trust issues. Well, walking with God is all about heart trust issues. I mean, look at Abraham's life. He had no laws. But God said, trust me, I'll give you a son, Isaac. And the story of Abraham is the story of every law-free believer. Because throughout his life, he was learning to trust God's faithfulness. And he made a few mistakes, didn't he? I mean, he, he was like, come on, God. It's been... A few years since that promise, where's the boy? And Sarah says, do you know what? I don't know if God's going to do this. I don't know know if God's going to do it like he said. I know, Abraham, let's do it ourselves. Here's, Here's my servant, Hagar. Why don't you take her as a wife and have a son through her? And Abraham, do you know what? Yeah, God's not going to do it. He's been too long. He'd have done it by now. You're right. And they have their... Ishmael. It was a trust issue. A trust issue. They lost trust. Moses again, he had trust issues about his wife. Twice he said his wife was his sister because he was frightened that if the people thought that Sarah and her beauty, that she was his wife, that they might kill him for her. I mean, it's a testimony to their marriage that the old man could still think that the old woman could turn her head. But (laughs) beauty is in the eye of the beholder. But anyway, so Abraham's like, God had said, Sarah's going to give you a child. Abraham is, oh dear, when they see the old woman, they're going to like her so much that they're going to kill me to have her. And he didn't trust that the Lord would protect the very woman that the Lord promised the child would come from. What is that? Trust issues. How are your trust issues with God? That's what the question is all about. But of course, Abraham grew, didn't he? In his mistakes, he learnt that God, even when you make mistakes, is still there. Isn't that wonderful? When you don't trust him, he doesn't give up on you. And he turns your very mistakes into learning curves. And to the point where Abraham got to the place of maturity in faith, 
And by that time, God said to him, he'd had his son Isaac, and God said, okay, let's see how Abraham's trust issues are. Abraham, take the boy Isaac, take him up on the mountain, and sacrifice his life to me. You know what? By this time, Abraham trusted the Lord at such a mature level, he didn't even bat an eyelid. He said, all right, you said Isaac would be my seed. You said that Isaac would bring forth my descendants. So you're telling me to sacrifice him? Well, I trust your word and your promise to me. In fact, if I have to sacrifice him, you, God, are going to have to raise him from the dead. You'll have to do it because you promised. So look at the maturity of Abraham, how his trust issues had finally been solved. He trusted God. In fact, Romans chapter 4 tells us the God that Abraham believed in. And this God had, had, had two attributes that Abraham clung to more than any other. Number one, Romans 4 tells us, the God that gives life to the dead. Abraham believed that God would raise his son Isaac even if he sacrificed him. Secondly, that God who calls things as, uh, that are not as though they were, that can call an Isaac that is not as though it were. And this is who Abraham believed in. He walked by the promises of God. But not just the promises, it was, is God faithful? This is the question in Christianity. Is God faithful and are you prepared to trust him? For 430 years, the children of God walked by faith in God's faithfulness. Think about that. And each one of them, through those years, God gave them their own personal promises. Spoke to them, gave them promises, and they trusted in his faithfulness. Didn't need any law for 430 years. Walked in his way, held the Father's hand, and wherever he took them, they went with him. Amen? But then we come to the time of the law. And you might be saying, well... If Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and the children of Israel didn't need law for 430 years, why on earth did God give them the law anyway? Well, Paul expects you to ask that question. And here we are in verse 19. What purpose then does the law serve? Why did God bring the law in? Well, the answer is here in verse 19. It was added because of transgression until the seed, that's Jesus, until Jesus should come to who the promise was made. So, the law came in as a temporary measure. And it came in because of the sin of the children of Israel that were brought out of Egypt. You know, did the children of Israel that Moses led out of Egypt, did God give them a promise? Did he? He didn't just give them a promise. He gave them a promised land, didn't he? A land flowing with milk and honey. And God said, I'm going to take you out of Egypt. And I promise, I've got a land that I've promised to you. And if you believe in me and trust in me, I'll take you into that land and you will possess that land. Just believe my promise. They, like their ancestors up to Abraham, were given a promise in which to trust God's faithfulness. 
But Hebrews makes it plain, as does the record in Exodus, that there was never a more rebellious generation than the Moses generation who hardened their hearts against God, didn't stay soft in trusting him. And what happened? God took them out of Egypt and they came to the Red Sea and they said, oh, great. Sort of God takes us out. We're going to have to drown in the Red Sea or Pharaoh's going to destroy us. What sort of God is this? Then bang, the Red Sea was opened by a miracle. You'd think that would have solved their trust issues, wouldn't you? Then they got to the other side and it's like, we're all going to die of water, millions of us, in a desert. What sort of God takes us out of Egypt, delivers us from Pharaoh's army for us to die of thirst? And then someone says, look, some water. Yay. They all go to the water and they take a taste. Ugh, bitter. Mara. What sort of God delivers us from Egypt, takes us through, the, brings us, you know, you'd better if you hadn't given us any water and you gave us bitter water. What sort of God? And the water was healed. You'd think that has solved their trust issues. Where's food? We've got millions of people here. You've given us water, but where's our food? The manna came. And they didn't trust God. Abraham's up on the mountain. Where's Abraham God? He's up on the mountain. I want a new God. Yeah, me too. What God do you want? Um, a nice shiny golden one? Yeah, that sounds good. Should we make a calf? Yeah. And then should we have a party and do everything that we shouldn't do? I mean, we can have a party of parties. We can do whatever we want because we've made our own God. Yeah, that's a good idea. What about the cloud on the mountain, though, with Moses? Oh, don't worry about them. Let's do what we want. When Moses came down, he saw that the people were sinful. You see, they refused to walk by trust in the promises. And because of that, God sent the law. There are two reasons, or three reasons perhaps, that God sent the law. Number one, he sent the law to reveal sin. When the law came, I mean, there was sin before the law, and people knew what sin was, but the law came, and R.T. Kendall says this, the law called sin by name. The law revealed sin, but it also revealed the standard of righteousness that God expected. It revealed sin. But also the law restrained sin. Well, what do I mean by that? Well, Paul again and again in Galatians, he says, how can I describe the law of Moses? The law of Moses is like one of those super temp teachers. You say, what do you mean by a temping teacher? Got any teachers here today? Over there in the coronet, got any, te got any teachers that temp at all? Yeah, so you temp. So you might be one of those super teachers that when there's a class that nobody can handle, they say, we need a super teacher. And that class, you know, they, they won't pay attention to anybody. They're not interested. They're just doing what they want to do. And then in comes the super teacher. The super teacher comes in and says, right, this is the way it's going to be. I'm the teacher. You're the pupil. You do what I say or I'm going to punish you. On the backboard or the whiteboard now behind me, I have written all the rules and regulations of how this class will run. If you obey the rules, it will go well with you. If you don't obey the rules, you will be punished. And one of the boys just laughs in his face. 
Detention, three weeks. A couple of others try it on. And he punishes them, or she punishes them vigorously. That's what the law is. The law deals with people that refuse to walk in relationship and trust. And what happens in that classroom is that you could visit that classroom within a few weeks' time, and you would say, wow, isn't that amazing? That super teacher, that tutor, he has transformed the class. They're all sitting there, good as gold, doing whatever they've done. How wonderful. But what you don't realize is that they are obedient through fear of punishment, not through trust and relationship, through fear. Like the child that was told by a teacher, sit down, please. No. Sit down, please. No. If you don't sit down, you're going to get punished. But I'm standing up inside. (laughs) And that's as much as the law can do. Jesus said about the Pharisees, who were the proponents and guardians of the law, he said, you whitewash tombs. On the outside, they conformed to the law. On the outside, they looked so holy. I mean, they came to church on Sunday in their best suits. Butter wouldn't melt in their mouths. Holy, holy, holy. On the outside, you wouldn't expect them to be in the pub. You wouldn't expect them. They're living a moral life. They're living according to the rules and regulations and traditions handed down by Pentecostals by generation to generation. You won't find them in a cinema. You won't find them with a glass of wine. Holy, holy, holy. (laughs) Whitewashed tombs on the outside, clean, beautiful. But Jesus said, you whitewashed tombs. You obey externally, but inside your heart is full of bones. The law will make you conform, but it won't transform your heart. The gospel transforms your heart. And the tutor, and the law was only there for a period. It was a temporary teacher, a temporary measure because of the hardness of heart. I mean, look, when they said, hey, Jesus, tell us about divorce. Is it permissible to divorce? Jesus said, you know, the law of Moses permitted divorce because of your hard hearts. But it wasn't so in the beginning. The law was a t- far better, a classroom is far better when you have a relationship between the teachers and the pupils. A mutual desire to learn. When I think of my favorite teachers in the past, do you know I had such respect for them? Oh, I, I loved some of my teachers. And I worked for them, not just for my own grades, but because of the relationship of mutual respect that we had for one another. And I remember those great teachers, their class was obedient out of relationship. The law will bring a measure of so-called holiness, but it's external rules and regulations. And in the end, people are only walking by them because they fear punishment, they fear hell. But it wasn't so with the Galatians. They just simply believed God's promise that whoever believes that Jesus died on the cross and rose again shall be saved. They just trusted what God had said. Now, I want to finish today 
by, by looking at a situation that Jesus found himself in John chapter 8 that I think is one of the best illustrations of what the law, how the law is linked, how the law relates to, to grace and how the Old Testament relates to the New Testament. Please turn to John chapter 8. And sometimes when someone asks me about the law and grace, and I don't have time to even begin to talk about it, I'll go, I'll go to this story because it's got it all. John chapter 8. But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Now, early in the morning he came again into the temple, and all the people came to him, and he sat down and taught them. Then the scribes and the Pharisees brought to him a woman caught in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman was caught in adultery in the very act. Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned. What do you say? This they said, testing him, that they might have something of which to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote on the ground with his finger as though he did not hear. So when they continued asking him, he raised himself up and said to them, He who is, out, who is without sin among you, let him throw a stone first. And again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. Then those who heard it, being convicted by their conscience, went out one by one, beginning with the oldest even to the last. And Jesus was left alone and the woman standing in the midst. When Jesus had raised himself up and saw no one but the woman, he said to her, Woman, where are those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said to her, Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Then Jesus spoke to them again, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. The law meets grace. The law meets grace in this incredible, almost theatrically staged by the Holy Spirit encounter to explain the role of the law, the role of Jesus, and the role of grace. And here we have the guardians of the law of Moses, the Pharisees, and they bring this woman clearly caught, breaking the law of Moses, and they think they've got Jesus now. And they say, Jesus, the law of Moses states that this woman is a sinner, She's broken the law. She must be punished. What do you say? And Jesus doesn't respond to them for a while. But they keep pressing him. They think they've got him. And he's riding on the ground. And then he gets up and he says, all right, okay. Who here is righteous enough to administer the law? He that is without sin cast the first stone. If you are righteous according to the law, you bring the punishment. And one by one, they began to realize 
that the very law that condemned this woman's sin also condemned their sin. Because Jesus said clearly and had taught clearly that the law wasn't just external matters, but also internal intentions. It wasn't enough that they didn't commit adultery. Had they ever committed adultery in their heart? If so, they were liable for punishment. It wasn't enough that they'd never committed murder. Had they ever been angry unjustly in their heart? If so, they'd broken the law. It didn't matter if they'd never stolen, had they ever coveted in their heart. And people understood that if they took that stone and threw it at that woman, the stone, if you like, morally would bounce back and hit them in the face. Because the law came to show, Romans says, that all the world is guilty. The law is good. The law was from God. The law set God's standards, but they were so high that no one could meet them except one. Some people talk about what was Jesus writing in the sand. Some people say he was writing the Ten Commandments. I heard one preacher say that he was writing, of the na- writing the names of all the women that the Pharisees had committed adultery with. <laughs> that, that would obviously preach well. But whatever it was, they realized that as she had failed, they had failed. But you see, the law, as we read in um, Galatians Excuse me, I've lost my... Galatians chapter 3, it says, The law was added because of transgressions until Jesus came. The law was looking for one person that would meet its demands. The law was looking for one person that could fulfill the righteous standards of an infinitely holy God. And it looked like no one could could fulfill it. Until Jesus came, sent of the Father, the very one that sent the law to Moses as a temporary teacher because of the immaturity of the children of Israel. But when Jesus came, it's time to stop being immature law followers and mature relationship people as our father Abraham was. And Jesus, every moment of his life, He lived according to the law, not just the Ten Commandments, but everything. And the law watched him with its microscope of of standards. And Jesus didn't just live perfectly the law. He delighted in doing it. 24-7 all his life, Jesus lived the standards that the law demanded. He surpassed those standards. He alone had the righteousness to pick up that stone and kill that woman as the righteous law demand. He had the right. The rest didn't. The rest didn't. But do you know what Jesus did? He fulfilled the law on your behalf. What does that mean? He sat down and took the law's rigorous examination. How many people here have ever taken an exam? Okay, we have hardly anybody that's ever been educated in this place today. (laughs) How many here has ever got 100% in an exam? 
Well done. Impressive. Send in your CV to the senior minister. I'm sure we find a place for you on the staff. Jesus sat the exam of the law, and guess what? He got A star, 100%. But guess what? When he turned in the examination sheet, it didn't have his name on the top. He'd written yours. He passed the exam. You got the grade. Now, how many people, if you had taken an exam, how if I came to you and you got a GCE or something like that, and I said, okay, I would like you to sit that exam again, what would you say to me? <laughs> Why? Because I've already passed that exam. I've already got the credential. So if you've already passed the exam, if Jesus did the work passed the exam, and you got the grade A star, why would you want to live by rules and regulations, outward conformity, moralism? Why would you want to live according to an exam that's already been passed? Remember at the beginning, Paul said, I've died to the law. I do not nullify grace. Jesus turned to the woman and he said, I don't condemn you. Sin no more. But there was a price to be paid. Jesus was basically saying, I don't condemn you. But you know what, young lady? Someone's got to be stoned for that sin. Don't you worry about it. You go your way, and I'll go mine. And it'll take me to the cross. And on the cross, I'll be stoned for your sin when those nails pierce me. I'll be stoned for your sin when my own father turns his back on me, when they thrust that spear in my side, when I suffer pain and death for you spiritually and physically and emotionally. I'll take the stones that were meant to bruise you to death and you can go free. This is the gospel, to go free. He paid the price for you. He sat the exam for you. And all he wants you to say is, thank you. I believe in you. So friends, let us be children of Abraham. Let's, let's be done with the law. No more law. No more ceremonial law. No more civil law. No more moral law. We have died to the law of Moses. It served its temporary purpose. It brought that unruly class. But we are not of the unruly class. We are of grace. And God has put us on our honor that we would follow him. Not out of fear of punishment. Not out of laws or regulations or outward Christian conformity. But inward heart conversion. That we like the the Galatians would receive the promises of God and the Spirit of God, crying, Abba, your Father, and that we would take his hand and follow him like Abraham and learn day by day to deal with the trust issues that so easily plague us and learn to walk with him and trust him. I tell you one thing, 
the prime minister doesn't even know what he's talking about when he tells the church to preach morals. I will not preach morals. I will preach Christ, Christ crucified. I will preach the born again experience. You must be born again. You must be born again. I will preach the outpouring of the spirit that cries father, daddy. It's not about morals. It's about conversion. It's not about outward standards. Oh God. It's not about trying to do better. Trying to get a better grade with the moral law. Forget that. Hallelujah. Walk in faith. Walk in blessing. What this nation needs is converted souls filled with the Spirit of God that obey God not out of fear, not out of church laws or regulations, but out of faith and the trust of Abraham that God is good for His Word. What are you facing this morning? What are you facing? Maybe you're here for the first time and you find yourself in the place where the woman was. You may or may not have committed adultery or fornication. You, you, you may have, you, but you know that that stone should be flying towards your face. But Jesus is saying to you, if you believe in me, I'll take it for you. And I will not condemn you, but I'm going to ask you to walk free. Sin no more. What did he say? How do you walk free? How do you sin no more? He said it in John chapter 8. I read it to you. It's often forgotten. This is what he said to her. He gave her the way, and this is the way for all of us today. He said, verse 11, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. And then Jesus spoke to them again and said, I am the light of the world He who follows me, me, shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of the light. He's saying to don't follow laws, don't follow regulations. Jesus says, follow me, come to me, all you that are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Because my yoke is easy. We don't follow laws, we follow the lawgiver. We don't follow regulations, outward conformities. We are those that are disciples of Jesus. Let's bow our heads in prayer. If you're in this place today in the internet, downstairs in the lower hall, across on the coronet, he did everything for you. He sat the exam that you would have failed eternally. And he put your name on it. But you have to receive the gift of forgiveness. He died for you that you might live to him. God is looking for people that are going to walk by his promises and trust him. Are you ready for your sins to be forgiven you like that woman was? But also, are you ready to sin no more, to walk with Jesus as your light? If you're ready for that with every head bowed, I want to pray for you. Lift up your hand and come to Jesus now if you're ready for him. Lift up your hand in the coronet. Lift your hand up. And you'll walk out as free as that woman walked out. Followers of Jesus. Yeah, the hands at the back. Anybody else? Now's the time to follow him.
Thank you. Father, yeah, see those hands. Father, we come to you and we want to live law free but relationship full. Help us to follow in the footsteps of Abraham and his seed, Jesus. Help us to have obedience that comes from heart. Help us to live fear-free, cast out fear through your love and your grace. and Cause us to live with no more law by the grace, the promises, and the mercy of God. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you.